Welcome everybody this morning. We're grateful that you've chosen to be with us this morning. As uh, Betty said, back there we've set up a area for um, kind of a photo shoot. And um, we thought, well, what a great day to make memories. And if you guys would like to uh, have uh, a shot. Back. Also, you can also make, uh, we got some bunny ears for some of you, like myself, that needs help. You know, I got to make all my pictures look better than what they are. Anyways, so that's back there right after church and hang out. I know that's a busy day, great family day. And once again, we're grateful that you're here. And before we go much further, uh, this is a Rembrandt. Uh, a lot of people look at it and go, what is that picture doing up there? Anyways, it's up there because um, Rembrandt painted this. This actually is a, the original is in St. Petersburg. And the, this particular painting is a painting taken from the prodigal son out of Luke 15. And so, as you see that, that's the father blessing his prodigal son. And so I like to mention that every once in a while because a lot of people go, wow, what? that don't make sense to me. Now it makes sense, right? Now it's a great time to go, aha, okay. And I read a book, uh, uh, one gentleman wrote a book about the, the painting, 100 pages worth, and it really touched me in a big way. This morning... This morning I want to talk about being a history maker, or history being made, with history makers. How the resurrection changed everything. How the resurrection changed and changes everything. And the first thing I want to say, I'm going to give you like six benefits of that. The first one is this. I don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. I do not have to live with guilt or shame anymore. And I want you to think about that. Because guilt and shame is a big part of our society. It's a, it, it drives many people. Many of us, I should say. Guilt, we don't have to live with it anymore. We don't have to live with guilt, shame, rejection. We don't have to live with hopelessness. We don't have to live... Um, as I would say about myself uh, much of the time, do I have to continually live with myself the way I am? No. The resurrection changes everything. And while, I want you to think about that. And while you're thinking about that, we're going to take our offering. And if you're a guest with us this morning, please, in no way, feel obligated. This is just our best way of receiving from um, our body, we have an online option off our website. But I want to say this, how much we appreciate the faithfulness that we have in this house. Because we are a uh, supported, a church-supported church ministry. So let's just have our ushers come forward. And it's a great time to put that blue card in there. Please put that in the bag if you, if you fill that out. In 33 AD, there was less than 120 followers. Today, there is over 2.3 billion. Today. Started out with Jesus and the Twelve. It moved to 
120. Fast forward 2,000 years, 2.3 billion. Let me, let me break that down for you. That's one out of every three people on the planet. Think about it. One out of every three on the planet. So in other words, one out of every three people you come in contact with possibly could be a follower of Christ. The Christian church is the largest organization on the earth. Let me put that in perspective for you. It's bigger than China and Europe and America together. Think about it. That's a whole lot of people. What happened? How did a band of poor Jewish, mostly fishermen, change one-third of the world we live in? Simply put, the resurrection of Christ. Simply put, the resurrection of Christ. And I'm going to move on. It changed everything. No other event in history outside the resurrection has changed history as much as the resurrection of Christ. Think of it like this. Jesus never, now listen to this, Jesus never wrote a book, more books written about him than anyone else. Never composed a song, more songs written about him for him, like we sung today, than anyone else. He never drew or painted a picture. 2,000 years of some of the greatest depict artwork of the world is about him and around him and his parables. Never built a building. But yet today we have great art, art, architectural facilities around the world. And he never traveled outside of a hundred miles, or maybe two hundred. Never traveled. But yet, the twelve, Jesus, the resurrection, 2.3 billion people. What made the first Christians so contagious? What was it? They shared the gospel. The gospel. The good news. Gospel means good news. They were contagious with the good news. What makes the good news so good? What is good about the good news? Well, I want to talk about that. The first one is what I just said. I don't have to live with guilt and shame any longer. That's part of the good news. That's what Jesus said. If you read the Gospels, you will understand that. You don't have to live with guilt, shame. You don't have to li live with words. And some of, there's people in this room, including myself, that have had words spoken over you that has fashioned your life today. They, they walk around you like a nagging little, it's like that little devil on your shoulder, right? It's fashioned you. Most of us carry 
with us loads of shame and guilt and regret. If you're like me, there's many things that I would look back in my own uh, journey, my own lifestyle that I would wish today that was never a part of my life. If I knew what I knew to do today, I would have never made those decisions. And I'm sure if we, we gave enough time for everybody, if I gave you a piece of paper, you could walk and write, yeah, I, I regret or I'd like to change this. See, guilt and shame and regret robs peace. It robs us from that inner peace. It takes it away. Way, way too many people live with that, negotiate it, tolerate it. So you might say, well, what is the good news? What's the answer? Jesus said this, or excuse me, Paul said this, wrote most of the New Testament. He said, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with his blood, with the blood of his son, and forgave us our sins, forgave us of our shortcomings, forgave us of the things that you and I wished we never did, yet God forgives us. And then some 700 plus years before, the scripture tells us what Isaiah said. This was prophetically written about Jesus in Isaiah 53, starting with verse 6. It says, all of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet never said a word. He was laid in a he was laid as a lamb. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. From prison to trial, they laid, they laid him away. They led him away to death. Okay. I needed a moment. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins? That he was suffering their punishment. Who understood that? He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Yet, his life is made an offering for sin. He will have a multitude of children, 2.3 billion and beyond today. Today's 2.3 billion. Past to future. Over 700 years ago to today. My sin, my guilt, my shame was put on Jesus. So that I don't have to carry shame or guilt or suffering. As it says in Romans 4.25, it says, Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. The resurrection changed everything. It goes on to say, after his resurrection, now after Jesus died, they buried him in a tomb. It was a tomb above the ground, 
had a big stone in front of it. The 12 disciples, so this is after he was on the cross, he, he cries out from the cross, it is finished. They take him and they put him in a rich man's tomb. And they, and they, and they bury him. And the 12 are scattered. They're hiding. They are clueless. What do we do now? After three years of being with Jesus, after experience, the miracles and everything, and they never really understood when Jesus said, I am going to be put to death. But the third day, I am going to raise, I'm going to be raised again. And at this point, they're not thinking about that. At this point, they're going to go, you know, the Romans are going to come after us too. Well, three days later, on Easter morning, a morning just like this, Mary Magdalene goes with, and goes to the tomb and finds the seal broken, the stone rolled away, and nobody was, and then nobody was there. And that angel was sitting there and go, are you looking for Jesus? He's not here. He is risen. Go, and, and then Jesus appears to Mary, and he says, now go tell my disciples that you've seen me. She runs, finds the disciples. They didn't believe her. Confused, excited, what's really going on? Maybe, I don't know, I, maybe they're just saying, why would Jesus appear to Mary? Wouldn't he come to Peter or Matthew or John? Right? That was the type of world they lived in at the time. But whatever took place there, as, as they engaged with Jesus, they, be, they became courageously confident. They became contagious with hope. And they became contagious with joy. In other words, nobody could interact without, with them without them feeling that hope and that joy. The excitement of who Jesus is. Which leads me to my next benefit that we have is I don't have to fear death anymore. Isn't kind of death the big deal for us? What, what is it after I die? I've been around for a while and most people, especially in their latter days that I've been able to sit with, most of them is, would look at me and go, there is a heaven. Especially those that don't have that personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus. And it created, always creates an opportunity for me to share the love of Jesus. And we live in this reality, this, this, you know, five senses of our reality, right? For some reason, I don't ever understand, why do we think that this is it? Right? Why do we have such a hard time believing that this reality was created out of another reality? That's a question. Why do we have such a hard time believing that? That we think, this is it. We live our life, we die, and that's over with. And then you look, look into the heavens, and you're going, huh. 
How'd that get there? Anyways, those are just some thoughts that I have along the way. See, I believe that logic will take you so far that at one point you step in to faith. At one point you have to make that decision to step in to faith. And what that faith is, especially to the 2.3 billion people on the floor, one out of three, they say Jesus is who he says he is. At one point. That's that step of faith. I do not have to fear death any longer. Jesus defeated death with his resurrection. What people fear most is death in their life. And I would say this. I want to live well, and I want to pass on the same way. Jesus conquered death for us, which enables us to live that resurrected life. That's what Paul said when he wrote the, the letter to the Romans. That when, the, the idea of baptism, the idea of baptism is we're identifying with his death and his resurrection. 2 Peter 1.16 says this, And when you were told about the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we were telling, we did not, excuse me, we were not telling made-up stories that someone invented. It's not a fairy tale. It's not just a good idea. It's not just something that gives us hope of the hereafter. It is reality. Proven. By one-third of, of us that say, we know this to be true. They saw him, they talked with him about the kingdom of God. This is what we celebrate today. Paul lists a few eyewitnesses himself in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture says. He was buried, and then he was raised from the dead on the third day. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12 apostles. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. So we have documentation. Then he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles. Least of all, I saw him too, or myself. And then as you read history, and then you go on and read the Gospels, you'll, you'll see that Jesus appeared after his resurrection several times. He had multiple meetings with the disciples over the 40 days after his resurrection. Having that many eyewitnesses that would stand up in court of law and say, yes, I saw him. I talked with him. I seen him with my own very eyes. The third benefit is I got God's Spirit inside of me. God lives with us. Now, what, one thing we would say around here often is we are a people of His presence. We are a people of His presence. In other words, God's presence is everywhere all the time. He's around us. He is moving. He is, he is speaking to us. He's here in this place right now. His very presence by way of the Holy Spirit is with us. It is, and we are a people of that presence. And you know, much of what people call coincidence, we would say it this way. No, that is the movement of the Spirit of God 
on the earth today. I had somebody recently tell me that they were in St. Petersburg and they, and they went, um, no, they were in Rome, excuse me, they went to Rome and they went into the cathedral and here um, the person that, the, that was there was grown, grew up in Eastern Europe in a communist country and saw the beauty of what took place and just began to weep. Just began to weep. And I said, that was the presence of God. That was the movement of God in her life. She might not have known when it was, but that's what it was. The night before his death, Jesus told his disciples, I'm leaving you, but I will send my spirit back afterwards. And Jesus told them, don't do anything until then. He says, go and wait for me in Jerusalem. Fifty days after the resurrection, we call it Pentecost. Acts 1.8 says, as Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will tell people everywhere about me. You will tell everybody about me. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's watch this clip.
That was history in the making. That's the history that the Bible talks about. That history is still going forth. Churches and the witness of Jesus is still penetrating languages that have never heard the name of Jesus. Today, this very moment, as you and I speak, we, the idea of the supernatural breaking in to our lives makes us shake our head, doesn't it? How does that work? The movement of God. And the movement of God is around you. I would venture out to say that some of us are with us today because of the movement of God in your life. Because God is drawing us. I love the songs we sing. You want to know why? Because it talks about how Jesus pursues us. How Jesus breaks into our world. It's not just, well, I've decided to follow Jesus. Are you kidding me? Jesus revealed himself to me and I said, I have no place better to go. That's what happened. I mean, my life was a pure mess, a wreck. And I met Jesus, and all of a sudden, life for me changed. And it was real and tangible. Do you ever feel like you're running on empty? Ever feel like, my gosh, have you ever asked this question? I've asked this question. What is life really all about? Oh, there's a good, that's, amen. See, he sent his spirit to us to lead us, guide us, teach us, and direct us, and to help us understand what was just said, the love of God. That same power that raised Jesus is available to you and I. It came upon the 12 and the 120, or excuse me, the 11. No, it was, they chose afterwards. Okay, the 11, then the 120, and then it just moved there from the world. Think about it. Let's start back where we started. How did Jesus and his 12 men move from 2,000 years ago to today with an existing family of 2.3 billion people? Paul, when he wrote the church in Ephesus, he says, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. If it is the same, it is that same might, power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same. When I realized, when I gave my life to Christ, it was a resurrection taking place. It was an igniting of the Spirit inside of me that changed my life. Going from a place of self-centeredness to a place of otherly. and been living that way for over 40 years. A power that, that frees us, that changes us, that helps us overcome, that keeps us going forward, that helps us stay on what we would call the straight and narrow, when sometimes we might go like this, but we're still going the right direction, right? That is a great place to say, you know, that was a good comment, Daryl. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but true. Our fourth benefit is I and we are unconditionally loved. We're unconditionally loved. It's not by what you do. 
It's just the way it is. He loves you. In, he loves me in spite of myself. He loves you. Now let me put it this way to make it very clear. He loves you the way you are right now. It's unconditional. Now, the caveat that when we, when we receive that love, there's something that takes place inside of us. And I said, I've never felt love like this before. And I want to return that back to God. I am so, I am so grateful. I am so grateful, as you are, how God has changed your life. And I could sit here and take the rest of our time and, and, and give you a lot of good reasons. Well, anyways, we don't remember. All of us were saved from something, right? All of us have a past. All of us have regrets. All of us have done things and, and said things and committed things that we wish we never had. Jesus says, I love you in spite of those things. I love you. I love you. And the Holy Spirit brings us, always bringing us back to that place of love. God is love. God has never made, and listen to this, God has never made anything He doesn't love. Never made anything He doesn't love. God will never, never stop loving us. Never. Matter of fact, you can't make him. That's a good word right there. Because everything in our world is conditional, isn't it? I will if you do. If you do, I will. Everything in our world is conditional. Everything. Except for this. Except for this. He says, I love you because I love you, period. So the, the disciples, 120, as it, all the way today, carried this message of love. Loving God and loving people. Loving one another. They carried this message of love. They carried the message of hope, which created that place of peace and contentment, which created that place of not fear anymore. It helped us to help us love one another and help us continue to live in that presence of love. Jesus came so everyone can know the heart of the Father. That's why he came. As it says in uh, John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now understand this. When he, when he made that statement, when Jesus made that statement, he didn't say, you're going to have eternal life if. You perform this way. He didn't put any qualifications. God loves you right now. And those that respond to God have eternal life, are going to be with Him. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Salvation. What is salvation? Jesus dying on the cross and taking our place and, and taking our penalty, taking our place, meaning this. He's our perpetuation. He's our atonement. He is a sacrificial lamb for all the bad and ugly things we did and everybody behind us and everybody in front of us. Everybody. Everybody say that. Everybody. Okay, now say this. Including me. Including me. All right, that's a good word. Now I want you to believe it and live it. 
Oh, God. God wants you to know, wants you to know and feel His love. He wants you to know it as the truth that it really is. And He wants you to feel it. Because God made emotion. If we do, if we embrace that, that will transform us. That will mold us and fashion us. Love, that's what love does. Most, now look, I'm not picking on anybody, but let's be honest. Most religions are based on rules and regulations. Okay? I'm not pointing the finger. And, let me say this, if we're not careful, we will too. We will do that. It, it it's our nature. It's that we want to make everything a rule and a regulation, don't we? Yeah, that's just who we are. So I'm not picking on anybody. I'll probably pick on me the most. But anyways, we want to make rules and regulations out of everything. But Jesus' message wasn't about rules and regulations. Remember, he came and said, look, everything behind me, I fulfill it today. And I'm establishing something new. And that new establishment is based on loving God with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Focus on that. And he said, in that, in that, you will fulfill everything God has ever required. In that alone. Right there. And you're sitting there going, Daryl, are you seriously telling me it's that simple? Simple? Yes. To come in to the fullness of God's love and to understand that he was put a, died a criminal's death, an ugly death. As a matter of fact, I read something just recently. They made a 3D uh, image of Christ. And they made this 3D, and they figured out through the, the shroud of... Uh, thank you very much. They made this 3D uh, statue of Christ, and they figured out that he was um, afflicted on his body 600 times for you and me. So let's personalize that. He took 600 blows me and then carried it with a little help so what he's saying here is it's all that that message of the disciples being courageous and putting everything on the line was based on the love of God actually uh, one of his disciples John said it this way it says forward getting the right this is how we know who the children of God are anyone who does not obey God's commandment does not love other his command and doesn't love others is not a child of God that's how simple it is if you're not loving you're not you're not placing yourself under the love of God this is the message we've heard from the beginning we must love each other. John, one of the original 12, wrote this. The most amazing conversion in the early years was Paul. Now when we talk about Paul, and we've mentioned him here a few times, was a, a uh, Pharisee that was commissioned to go and stomp out, wipe out the Christian sect of the day. And he was, he was given the right by the temple, 
the high priest, to do so. And he was very zealous about that. He wanted the Christian message to be gone. And so he went out. And then on that, that road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him and transformed his life. Paul gave his life over to Christ, and Christ became his life message. And this is one of the messages he Paul tells about. us. And we know who you are. I mean you no harm. I have friends in Damascus. You paid them a visit. You meant them plenty of harm. I've changed. I was blind. Now I can see. Liar! Yeah, I did what I did because I was certain I was right. That I knew what God wanted. As you are certain now. But then Jesus came to me. Not in righteous anger or in judgment, but in love. Without love, we are nothing. Love is, is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not boast. It is not proud. It keeps no records of wrongs. It, it, um, it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. When everything else disappears, faith, hope and love remain. But the greatest of these is love. What is your name? with me, look. I can't do this alone. History in the making. And the church being defined as what Paul would, as he wrote the uh, uh, that message, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, defining what love is, the core of who we are, the core of what the church is. See, we need to get better at walking alongside people versus saying, you know, when you get it together, come on in. Right? When you clean your act up, come on in. And it's although we don't really say that, we don't use that language, sometimes our actions say that. Sometimes how we respond to people says that. And that is not the heart of God, nor is it the heart of the gospel, nor is it the heart of those who began the history that took us to, brings us to the place that, today. 
love is. What defines the bride of Christ? What is known? I can live with purpose and meaning. It's a benefit of understanding the resurrection. Each and every person can live with purpose and meaning. Christ gave meaning to me. Christ gave me purpose. And continues to give me purpose. Actually, I think one of the greatest things in my own transformation is the idea of caring for others. The idea of thinking about how my life can be an impact on other people's lives in a good way. That's probably the most profound thing in my own personal life. And I I know that to be true in the body of Christ at large. In other words, Jesus said this. He said, they will know who you are. They will know that you're my followers by how you treat one another, how you love each other. Mark says this as we begin to wind down. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, the gospel, the good news, you will save it. You will save it. You will find purpose. This is what made Christianity so contagious. It's what makes Christianity contagious today. It is a It is a comment when you come to somebody who says, God loves you just the way you are. They look at, you ever get that look like deer in headlights? Like, really? Like they don't understand it. Because we don't really understand unconditional love. After Jesus' resurrection, thousands came to Christ. And multiple thousands continued. The disciples, it goes on and says, they risked, their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they put it all on the line. Let's have the worship team come forward. I and we can be certain that heaven is real. And we can because Jesus said so. When he told his disciples, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you alone, he went and said, I am leaving because I'm going to prepare a place for you. But he says, I'm not leaving, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. We can be certain that heaven is a real reality. And I love what Hollywood did about, you know, showing the angels behind Jesus because it showed the reality that this reality was created out of. And it, and it, and it depicted a great picture of that. I don't have to go through life wondering or doubting. I don't have to question if this is certain. I know God loves us. The first Christian 
were contagious because they understood their future. They were contagious because they understood that this world wasn't their home. That Jesus went and prepared a place for them. In 1 Peter 1.4 it says, And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, for us, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Beyond that reach. Would you stand with me as we sing this last song and we'll close. Sing a million times. This love. 